Yates on Sunday on News Talk. Brought to you by SSE Electricity Business Energy. Proud to power businesses all over Ireland. Energy at work for you. At this point, every Sunday, we take half an hour out to have a profile guest in studio to discuss all aspects of their life, their day job, where are things at and where are things going for the future. And it's a great pleasure to welcome a man who was in Irish public life for more than 30 years. He started off as a Kilkenny County councillor and chairman of that council. He became a senator in dubious circumstances. And then as a TD, he uh, distinguished himself uh, after particularly rebuilding the Fine Gael Party in, after 2002 and the disastrous election under Michael Noonan, uh, the, the director of organisation and elections in 07 and 11, Fine Gael's biggest victory, and then became Minister for the Environment, perhaps one of the most controversial ministers for the environment ever, and was rewarded for his loyalty to Enda Kenny by being made Ireland's EU Commissioner in November 2014, when he took on the very big job of uh, Commissioner for Agriculture. Now, I should actually make a declaration of interest before anyone else does, that he has been a close pal of mine, but I'm determined to have plenty of ground hurling. Phil, you're welcome. Thank you very much. Now, uh, first of all, your day job. Uh, I was over in the Berlamont building not so long ago. Um, I, I really was quite taken aback by the vast resources, nearly 60 billion under the Common Agriculture Policy, 22 million farmers. What are you doing for them? Well, first of all, I'm implementing the, the Common Agricultural Policy Reform of 2013, which government ministers in all member states and members of the European Parliament agree. So the Commissioner then is responsible for the implementation of that. So that has taken a while. Also, the Russian embargo hit immediately I arrived, uh, and €5.3 billion euro of exports were written off. So we had to find new markets. And also now we're in the business of trying to you know, manage demand and supply in the marketplace in the interest of the farmer to make sure they get a reasonable return. You saw that in dairy and pig meat in 2016 and 2015. And we're now looking at the next reform post-2020 to see what changes are necessary in order to improve the situation and to reduce the complexity of the policy post-2020. One of those issues that you inherited in terms of the next review is that there was this original block of, say, 15 states and we enlarged towards the east. And my overall sort of simplistic understanding of it is that in terms of the subsidies and the single farm payment, that our new entrants get about 60% of what the older, the, the Irish and other farmers get. And they were given this promise of a level playing pitch. How are you going to pay for that? Well, at the end of the day, it's a matter for the EU Prime Ministers and the European Parliament to decide the budget next year. And, of course, they have to take into account Brexit. Uh, at the end of the day, then, the common agricultural policy is going to be one of the policies that will be funded from the overall budget. And if we go down the road of convergence between East and West, of course, there will be an argument being made by the Eastern countries that they want more per acre than they're getting now uh, from uh, in the interest of convergence and solidarity under the policy. So these will be the arguments that will be teased out. It won't be At the end of the day, we will make proposals, but it will be the legislators, the Council of Ministers and the European Parliament will ultimately make the final decision. But as a former minister, I know what the Commissioner proposes is crucial. Is it your view there should be an equality of payments across the 27 member states or not? I think that over a period of time that that will happen. It may not necessarily happen over the seven-year period 2020 to 2027. It has gradually and incrementally will happen. 
Okay, so what would you say to the hundreds of thousands of people in this country who are depending on farm incomes and depending on the food industry, leaving aside the Brexit issue, just from a CAP perspective, is it steady as you go? Is it that there are clouds on the horizon and your income may inevitably go down? Because as you know, for dry stock farmers and tillage farmers, their income is nearly the subsidy. Well, if you're getting last Friday in Balmart in County Mayo, 800 along with a kilo, you're not doing too bad in the beef sector. If you're getting 30 to 32 cent a litre for your milk uh, in most farmers' yards at the moment, which is a big difference from 22 cent a litre a year ago, you're actually making some money at the moment. But you're making up for some of the losses. But would you be making it in five years' time? But sure, how can I predict the future in a market-orientated policy, which you and ministers before us agreed to in the McSherry reforms? And we have to implement the market orientation of our policy and then have the necessary uh, instruments in place in order to help farmers to cope with volatility. This is one of the things that we have to study and new instruments will have to be brought in and new tools for farmers to be able to cope with more price volatility post-2020. But is that not a, a little bit... Glib, and I, I saw one quote where you said the only certainty is uncertainty in the future. Can you not give some reassurance to farmers, you know, who are making big investments in dairy parlours and, and land sizes are growing and paying 13,000 an acre, that, that what they have they'll hold? No one could give any outcome of what's going to happen in the EU budget in the context of Brexit. Is the European Prime Minister going to give more money into the EU budget? I don't think so. Are we going to get new sources of income from new sources of taxation, indirect taxation, uh, in addition to customs and VAT that we have in the budget of the EU at the moment? We may not. And if we don't, there will be cuts in expenditure for all programmes. You have to cut your cloth based on the budget that you get. And it will be up to me to argue within the overall budget the largest percentage I possibly can for agriculture. So you're making no promises. Well, you've no. also spoken about that vis-a-vis specifically Brexit that there would be up to a three billion hole in the common agricultural uh, policy. Now, my sort of vague understanding is that leaving aside the divorce bill, just say Britain were gone and we're fast forward 10 years time, there's about a net contribution of, is it 10 billion or whatever, because they get some payments back. How big is the hole purely in the context of the budget? And given that your element of it is about 36% of the total budget, Explain to us what are the problems for CAP vis-à-vis Brexit. Well, if we do not get more um, money into the pot arising from Brexit, well, then there will be cuts in expenditure. And that doesn't mean that the Prime Ministers of the 27 member states will agree to a reduction in the CAP budget. They may decide that the CAP budget is the fully funded budget of the European Union, which has been very successful. But I'm in the real world as well as you are, where if there is... A proportionate cut in the budget at 38%, well, 38% of 10 billion is around 3.5. So, but I have to, we have to argue the point that we need to hold that percentage of the budget. So I would be hoping that whatever the final outcome on the EU budget negotiations are by the Prime Ministers and the European Parliament, that I will be able to hold the 38% of the proportion of that budget for agriculture. OK, let's talk about Brexit. Article 50 has been triggered. Uh, next Saturday, there is an EU summit the guidelines in terms of the EU response to Article 50 have been published. Just uh, roll the clip there, Colette, for us, how it's all going to evolve. Well, I think that the, the Irish government have done a good job in getting recognition for the unique circumstances that Ireland finds itself in now, through no fault of its own, because of the decision of the British people. 
we have a particular set of circumstances that no other member state has arising from that result with the Good Friday Agreement, the North-South issues, as well as the trading relationship that Ireland has with the UK. So these are now going to be recognised in the document next Saturday. And I think it's a great tribute to the Taoiseach and to Charlie Flanagan, the Minister of Foreign Affairs, that, and their teams that they were able to achieve that. Well, I've I've heard a critique of the same document which says it's ifs and ands and maybes, that if you look at, say, for example, the commitment the Spanish got in Gibraltar, which is cast iron, uh, what we've got is, well, sure, you know, we look after you, lads. No, I think I have in whatever document you're reading, it must be somewhere else that you found it in the Wexford people or something. <laughs> but it's certainly no, nowhere near what's the reality. The reality is that this has been, uh, this is just phase one of the negotiations, the guidelines. But it's important, in, as you know, to get your... Your, your key early. asks okay. in, the, in the draft document. Okay. And the draft that we have now, which will be agreed next uh, Saturday, is a document that Ireland can be proud of. Is it not best endeavours, though? There isn't a cast no, iron no. commitment. There's a cast iron commitment to recognise the unique set of circumstances that Ireland finds itself in now, that there are a requirement that flexible and imaginative solutions will have to be found to cope with this border issues. There's a recognition of the Good Friday Agreement in all its forms. Uh, and also, there's a recognition of the peripherality of Ireland in the context of its closeness to a big a big country like the UK who is leaving the European Union. And those, I think those are very positive uh, And do you think, well, like, what, you, you've, you've praised Enda Kenny there, but, you know, other countries like Britain have appointed a dedicated line minister, a minister for Brexit. You know, Charlie Flanagan is busy uh, with... Uh, Northern Ireland is in, in grave difficulty at the moment with the power sharing assembly and so on. Uh, do you think we should have appointed a minister for Brexit or going forward do you think a new Taoiseach should appoint a dedicated minister for Brexit? No, because this is too important to the country that it requires, the, the as you know from your experience, it requires the full authority of the Taoiseach and the department of the Taoiseach to coordinate a response on such a significant economic and political matter as this. And I think that the right decision was made and the relationships that Enda Kenny has built up through the European People's Party with the Prime Ministers around the European Union have certainly, uh, clearly now, we'll see on next Saturday f- for sure, have yielded dividend. OK. Now let's come to your own role in this because we are looking to you as our, our man for the green jersey. You have made two statements. Quote, There's a real risk that Ireland could allow our relationship with Europe to be defined with our relationship with the UK, which would be an enormous mistake. He went on further to say it would be a fundamental error on our part to place an excessive reliance on our bilateral relationship with the UK. I put it to you that Juncker couldn't have put it better. That that doesn't take account of the... Spe- you know, that's what I expect the Europeans to say, but I don't expect an Irish commissioner to say that. Well, to go on a sporting analogy, Ivan, and you're familiar enough with sport, You have to find out, first of all, and answer the question, which team do you want to be on that will get the best result for the country? The best result and the only place to be is is linked in with the other 26 member states because the Article 50 process is drawn up in such a way that only Brussels and the other 27 member states are going to make the final decision. And it's a you know, the, the negotiating power of UK in these circumstances, because of the way the Article 50 is drawn up, makes it quite weak. First of all, there's a, you can run down the clock for two years if you don't agree with what the British want. And then there's no deal. Of course, that would be a disaster for Ireland or for the UK. But also, I don't believe that that will happen. And at the end of the day, you know, we have the, the chief negotiator, Michel Barnier, who is on the side of the 27 member states, former Minister for Agriculture in France. He is actually the referee in this occasion. He's a very formidable individual that knows Ireland well. 
We have a bilateral relationship with the UK that's now recognised in the, in the guidelines that we talked about earlier. And, of course, nobody in the other 26 member states are saying that we shouldn't have recognition of these special relationships that we have with Ireland and the UK. But it will be the European Council of 27 member states will make the final decision and the European Parliament will make a final decision. Not London or Whitehall, where you are, you are no, advocating. Well, 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 put it like this. My concern <coughs> is, first of all, we won't even be in the room. It'll be Tusk, a Pole... Bernier has spoken about a French guy and Juncker, a Luxembourg guy. We won't even be in the room when 600 years of Anglo-Irish culture, history, language, trade and investment and land border are being decided. That strikes me as a little bit absurd. But we are in the room. We are in the room already, you see, that of the three items on the agenda for next Saturday's meeting, Ireland is recognised in one of those three. And all of the implications of the Good Friday Agreement and our trading relationship with the UK are recognised explicitly in the documentation. That is a hell of a start. Now, so that wouldn't happen unless we were in the room. And Enda Kenny, as Taoiseach, with the other 26 member states, will make the final decision. But and the European Parliament, which often people forget, of 750 members, they will have to make a decision as well. OK, what about the realpolitik? You in your job are dealing with big powers, the Spanish, the Germans, the French. I put it to you that as this negotiation evolves, the Germans and French, what's their big ticket item? Their big ticket item is to extract the 58 billion because they don't want to have to pony up the money. The big ticket item for the French is Gibraltar and the Catalan won't be treated like Northern Ireland and a precedent isn't set. The big ticket item for the eastern countries neighbouring Ukraine is to get a security pact that'll keep Putin off their shores. I put it to you that little old Ireland is a pimple on the arse of Europe facing towards the Atlantic and we're not going to get much say at all. Well, we do have 2% of the population of Europe. We're not saying that we're anything uh, like a big member so state. So what we should do is cut a deal with Britain and then let them feck us out. Oh, yeah, well, you want to be like Greece, is it? Or you want Ireland no, the, to be like Greece. No, the story is that what of you want? Greece, the story yeah, of Greece want to be like is, despite it being a basket case and lying about their photo, they still weren't, they still weren't let go on the rope ladder of the Eurozone. They Gre- cannot kick us out. Where was Greece going to get money if they were kicked out of the European Union? From the Russians? Where were they going to get money? My point is this, that you certainly want to understand what team you should be on to win. I'm surprised as a Wexford man. No, I know that you won one. I know that we I know be each way better. Well, you know I hate each. <laughs> you know I hate each way better. And I'm surprised that you're advocating. <laughs> Just because Wexford won the first match of the year against Kilkenny doesn't mean you're getting very cocky now. But at the end of the day, I would say to you, and you should study your documentation more clearly that the Article 50 process is geared towards, explicitly, the other 27 member states making the decision and the European Parliament. Now, do you want to concentrate all your effort in London or in Brussels in order to get the best outcome for Ireland? The only place where the outcome is going to be made is in Brussels. No, I'm saying we stay in the euro, we don't have an Irexit. But what, what I'm saying to you is this, that this is a game of poker where we're in a very vulnerable position. And Bertie Ahern has suggested that in his contacts with Europe, there would not be a problem with us having a memorandum of agreement with London on issues like how the border would operate and so on. Surely that's a valid point. Any understanding that we will have with the UK will have to be agreed by the other 26 member states. And remember in the unification of Germany, the East Germans had to opt in to West Germany in order to get the unification process over the line not the other way around. So there is quite a number of technical and legal issues that have, we have... But that you the know European politics in the Parliament. Politics, the, the politics not of this. Not treaties no, and I law. Know, no, but the, the politics of this, 
is that Ireland is winning on round one by getting special recognition for the unique set of circumstances that it has now vis-a-vis our partner in the UK who is leaving the European Union. And I think that's a hell of a start. Okay, Labour and Party... And there's, and there's a number of years to go. Well, Labour Party put forward a proposal, as have others, that what we should do is when the final text is agreed, not the guidelines, we should have a referendum in Ireland to endorse it or reject it. And that means that we'd use that as a leverage to improve our negotiating position if we slide down the order of priorities. Do you think that's a good idea or a bad idea? Bad idea. And the reason is that a qualified majority of the member states of the European Union gives us the best chance of success. Uh, because the connectivity that Andrew Kenny and, uh, has built up with the European People's Party and with like-minded prime ministers in the European Union is crucially important in delivering the guidelines, in delivering the, no, the, the, in delivering the negotiation directives uh, in, the month, in the next few weeks in order to ensure that the Irish problems are, are actually fully recognised and can be dealt with in various solutions. Now, like having a referendum on what? The legislation states in their Article 50 that having a, ref- a referendum is not required, but it's building the networks politically okay. with the Prime Minister is required and getting the European Parliament. I think there should be more concentration on the European Parliament because okay. people in the European Parliament in Eastern Europe and Southern Europe, they don't know much about the nuances of Northern Ireland or Southern Ireland or the relationship between the UK and Ireland, and we need to explain that to them. Let's talk about the end game. Uh, there's a number of legal possibilities. The economic area agreement like Liechtenstein and Norway and Iceland has with Europe. The Canadian type, Switzerland type deal or WTO rules. What do you think, with Theresa May now looking for a mandate, what do you think the end game will be for the border in North-South and for the customs union? Well, in, first of all, in relation to Northern Ireland, I think that she, her timing of an election is not actually conducive to a good outcome in Northern Ireland and it's a pity that she didn't take that more into account before she made the decision to have an election. But we are where we are. There is, there is on the economic side and on the Brexit negotiations, there's possibilities that this may help her with a large majority to make compromises. Already we see in speeches that she is making, and uh, Mr Davis, the Minister for Brexit, you know, she's shifted her ground very much on the customs union, on migration, and on payments to the EU, and on the Court of Justice judgments. That's positive. And that these are the, if we can persuade the UK with our unique relationship, if we can persuade the UK to stay in the customs union, this would make a serious difference in terms of whether we have a hard or soft border on the island of Ireland. And it makes a big difference in terms of the trading relationship between the UK and the rest of the European Union. So if I was to say that we should be an Anglo advocate for a soft Brexit, would you agree with that or not? I think everybody in Europe wants a soft Brexit. For example, in trade, there's 44% of all the trade of the UK goes to the European Union. But the, the 600 billion euros of trade goes between the UK and the EU. But they don't eat cheddar cheese? No, no, no. We'll come back to that. If you want to get into specifics, we can. But they eat mozzarella, I presume, (laughs) something like that. But do you think that the British customer is going to reduce their food standards and their food quality just because they're outside the European Union? They are surely not. They're going to continue to buy high-quality food products, high-quality products that actually meet the standards that they become accustomed to. But at the end of the day, I think that the EU and the UK will do a free trade agreement. Finally, how do you rate Ireland's performance at wooing people who are leaving London and with the downside of Brexit for Britain? Uh, and particularly this European drugs agency that's in London that will have to leave London, 900 jobs. Uh, do you think the Irish government's doing a good job at getting, you know, the, the backwash of people? They seem to be going to Paris, Frankfurt, Luxembourg. We seem to be losing out. Three big insurance companies, AIG, RSA, all saying no. Lloyds, no? People don't make big announcements, generally speaking, about whether they're moving out of the UK. Uh, There's a lot of quiet 
uh, work going on behind the scenes that is bringing people to Ireland because a lot of companies in the UK want to have a, access to the European Union. They want to be involved in an English-speaking country, common law jurisdiction, and Ireland is an attractive location at that point Are we view. doing enough? But I think we are doing. Will we I, get the I, European but, Drugs but Agency? Quite, I was quite concerned some time ago when I saw the central bank taking a hard line on the regulatory issues and not wasn't exactly sending out a positive signal that we wanted insurance companies or banking companies to come to, come to Ireland uh, by sending this hard line uh, in advance that you won't get an easy time if you come to Ireland. Do you think they're being too bureaucratic, the I central do, bank? I do. I think that they could, uh, they could certainly uh, look at the way, look at the, manage, the manner in which they're conveying that message, at least, uh, in order to convey to the uh, companies in the UK that the Ireland would be welcome. In relation to the two agencies of the European Union, and there is a lot of work by Minister Noon and Minister Harris going on in order to attract those. Of course, the medical agency would seem to be a logical fit with some of the issues. Would you be hopeful? I don't know the answer. That's going to be made by the, count, the Prime Ministers at the end of June, that decision. OK. Uh, and you're working hard in favour of it? Yes. OK. Now, let's return to domestic politics. I know it seems very distant from my office in Brussels, but um, <laughs> Irish water. Uh, we've ended up with a deal that... Uh, each household can use 589 litres per day. They can keep the shower running, have the bath, do the dishwasher, the washing machine and the whole lot and it'll all be free and there's no real enforcement for excessive water. We've come a long way from the point of you, they'd only get a trickle under you. Where did it all go wrong in Irish water? Well, we've had an Oireachtas committee, Ivan, and I know you'd love to have me consider this particular issue for the rest of the programme and I don't intend to do so. But there is an Oireachtas committee which this issue is a matter for the Oireachtas that have been examining this and they have come to their conclusions. And is and that I'm a very, victory for sensible very, politics very, like Simon Coveney I'm said? very satisfied to see that Minister Coveney has quite explicitly, publicly stated that he will not introduce legislation unless it's legal. Now that's a hell of a statement to make from, from the Oireachtas that we want to ensure that all legislation that's introduced is legal and okay. he will hopefully get the support of Fianna Fáil on that. Do you think what's now evident in the agreement will pass muster with the EU Water Directive? That will be a matter for the Environment Commissioner, not the Agricultural Commissioner. So here you, you, you invested a huge amount of political capital and your reputation to introduce a regime and brought in the legislation for Irish Water mm. and you're totally indifferent that it has been completely upended. No, it's not upended. Actually, Irish Water is going to continue. All of the various free water. commentators... Free water. All of the various commentators and all of the various... Does it not rile you up? All of the various uh, uh, experts, and you won't rile me up either, uh, <laughs> all of the various experts, you know, including yourself, who said that Irish Water was a disaster, it's still there and it's doing a good job. But revenue base is a disaster. No, 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 it doesn't I, exist. I'm talking about the entity which is a centralisation of the 34 local... Do you have any regrets say, about your handling 34, of Irish water? The 34 local authorities that we cited, that we pooled their work into a centralised agency called Irish Water. And remember, Ivan, when I took over the job as Minister for the Environment, we were within 6 to 12 months of having I know no proper water provision. Okay. No, 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 no I never mentioned the trike. I never okay. mentioned the trike. Without having no water for 250,000 okay. households and, in Dublin, we had a web summit that you could not guarantee that people that visited this country, okay. 10,000, would have a shower. people see you as the bogeyman elsewhere. Do you have any regrets? I think Irish Water has seen the test of time. It has come through the difficulties of any particular organisation that has been established and it's now able to... You've not, able, you've able not to stand, one single um, regret. Uh, never, no, look, I will have a, a conversation about this in the future with you, but I'm not having that conversation All right. now. Now, since you left, Kilkenny, Hurling and Fine Gael have gone to the dogs. Uh, they lost a third of their votes and seats. Uh, do you think it's time for Enda Kenny to go? Well, I think all of the indications are that Enda Kenny is going to make that decision quite soon. Uh, and, uh, you know, I think... First of all, can I say that Enda Kenny is probably the most successful teacher since W.T. Cosgrave. 
look at what he had to do in terms of bringing our sovereignty back. Uh, and he achieved that with you know, great international recognition so, is given so, to Kenny. So when you see in last And also he has brought a situation where we not have 16% unemployment, we have 6% unemployment. Okay, so, and a growth rate, okay. the growth rate in Ireland that is the envy of Europe. Okay, so you will not uh, criticise Andy Kenny. Well, one of your former colleagues, colleagues who wrote in the Sunday Independent last week who did criticise Andy Kenny said that his, his leadership style was self-serving and had vicious things to say was Alan Shatter who won a court case. Now you were in Cabinet in 2014 when the so-called retirement of the commissioner took place. Do you have any sympathy for Alan Shatter? I do. He was an excellent colleague, excellent Minister for Justice. This has been the subject of two inquiries, Fenley and Higgins' inquiry. I am surprised that the, that the High Court decision that Mr Shatter took himself uh, in order to vindicate his position and where he won uh, is now being appealed to the Supreme Court by Mr Gearden. Uh, I am surprised to see that. Do you think Enda Kenny treated... Alan Shatter fairly. I don't know what went on between Enda Kenny and, and Alan Shatter, but all I know is that Alan Shatter resigned. Uh, the basis on which he uh, resigned, he has taken issue with that today, and he has taken an issue with that in various articles. Uh, and I, I know from past experience, when you do resign, you you certainly sometimes wonder to know why you did that at times. And he has been. And Alan, the, Alan Shatter has and been. And the vindic- question was, Alan Shatter has been vindicated did, by did the Enda by the inquiry since. Shatter fairly. I don't know. Is it yes or no? I don't know. You don't because want I wasn't to there. You, you were I wasn't there. there in the conversations okay. around the resignation of Alan Shatter. I wouldn't have a clue what was the conversation between You're looking the, the other way. Nothing to see here. No, no look, Ivan, look, you weren't there either. <laughs> no, I certainly wasn't. No, nor I wasn't. <laughs> so we were both on the same level playing pitch on that okay, one. Okay, final question. Uh, your tenure will be up in 2019 uh, as Commissioner. Will you be seeking a second term? I wouldn't rule it out. Would you ever consider returning to national politics no. or any national role? No. Right. And who do you think will be leading Fine Gael? Well, I haven't seen the runners and riders. Well, actually. if I tell you it's Leo and Simon, who do you think of those Well, you have, you have, no, hold on a minute. Like, You're going to kick this to touch as, as a good bookmaker, you'll know you have to see the, you have to see the who's in the race. Well, I'm telling you. Yeah, well, you, you don't know either. <laughs> you think you know everything, but you don't. Uh, it's actually, you've only seen two, two interested parties at this stage. There might be others. And uh, I, as an ordinary member of Fine Gael, will have a vote on that. I hope you will too. No, I don't. I've long yeah. since left Fine Gael. Yeah. But the, the point about it is this. Do you have any preference of the stated candidates uh, as of now? No. But you will be voting? Oh, I will. And will you tell us who you voted for? I may not. May I tell you because <laughs> you tell everyone else. <laughs> Phil Hogan, Ireland's EU Commissioner for Agriculture, battling on Brexit and other things. Thank you for being my guest on Yates on Sunday. Yates on Sunday on News Talk. Brought to you by SSE Airtricity Business Energy. Proud to power businesses all over Ireland. Energy at work for you.